All right. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of Learning Tech Talks, where we're exploring the landscape of learning tech while cutting through the fluff to help you do digital right. And today I'm joined by Nancy Monroe, and today is all about, we're talking about conversation. And we're going to talk about how AI is changing the way we can do that. It's going to be a very fun conversation. I'm looking for on the topic of conversations. It will be a fun one. And she's with Verbal Transactions. And we're going to hear how they're making it happen over there. So if you're joining us live, if you're just coming in, go ahead, give us a like, share the post, tag in somebody who would be interested in this conversation while we're getting started. And while you're at it, let us know where you're joining from. So I am joining from the suburbs of Milwaukee. As usual, it is a lovely sunny day out today. It's cooled off a little bit. It's been pretty hot. And now the, the weather is actually just about perfect, or at least my definition of perfect, which is like high 60s. How about you, Nancy? Where Where are you today? I am in the suburbs of Chicago. So oh, not you're not that far. You're just south of me. My Yeah, my husband grew up in Milwaukee. Okay. Um, okay. So yeah. what, what suburb in Chicago? Cause I was, I was in Chicago for a while. Uh, Wheaton. Oh, okay. Okay. So you can't really say, cause Wheaton's a bit out there. I, I know <laughs> that when I lived, I lived in South Elgin, which was pretty far West. Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. Say I'm from Chicago. People who are actually from Chicago are like, like yes, you're so. not from Chicago. You can't say that. But when you say yeah. it on a global scale, people kind of, you have to say Chicago yeah. cause you can't say Wheaton. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I drop my husband off at the train every day. He's he's down in the opera building. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. okay. It's, actually, it's actually safer to be on the train and going to Chicago in the train station than going to the grocery store. Okay. Right now. <laughs> yeah, I would say right now, probably, probably not too bad to be in Wheaton right now. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So before we get into it, before we get into it, uh, let's, let's shift to the question of the week. And okay. it is, it is a little bit related. I'm looking forward to your answer, but it has nothing to do necessarily with the topic. So, and everybody watching, you can comment in yours as well. But okay. if you could have the voice of any celebrity, who would it be and why? Well, my first thought would be Barbara Streisand. Okay. Because, you know, it's Babs. But then I thought, James Earl Jones, wouldn't that be awesome? <laughs> His voice. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Wow. James Earl. So I, I would certainly, that would certainly be interesting if we were having this conversation right now and you sounded like yeah. James Earl Jones, we probably would have a lot of people tuning in just to hear that conversation. Yeah. That's super funny. Okay. So mine, right. So mine, if I could have the voice of any celebrity for me, hands down, Liam Neeson. Oh, I would have Liam Neeson's <laughs> voice because how cool would it be if it was just like, you know, Welcome to another episode of Learning Tech Talks. Like that, that would be so fun to be able to to have that kind of gravelly, which I have a little bit of gravel sound in my yeah. voice today. Yeah. But um, it, that that's who I would choose. Good. Be pretty hardcore. I think I think it would add some cred credibility to. You'd probably um, get a lot of like gigs. <laughs> yes, I get a lot of gigs if I sounded like Liam Neeson. Okay, so before we get in, well, now we actually are going to transition into it. But before we do a little bit, right, we're talking about the power of artificial intelligence and in analyzing conversation, what that can actually do to help in learning and development, or just, I don't even think we just need to limit it to L&D, but just in business. But before we dive too far into that, okay, tell me a little bit about your background and how you ended up getting into this yeah. space. Yeah. So, uh, I had my first business called knowledge shift that I started in 2005 and I just was kind of doing one-off customized e-learning courses and things like that. And then I realized that, you know, to really grow the business, I needed a product. So I actually created, and, and this is when, um, blackberries and mobile phones were becoming very dominant. I thought, well, what, you know, could I create mobile learning? So that was my first thought. And okay. what what can you do on a phone? And then cloud-based IVRs kind of came into play. So I decided let's make a conversation simulator because everybody has a phone. Why aren't we using these devices to learn on demand, right? Yep. So I created a cloud-based IVR uh, conversation simulator. So, you know, so from any phone, uh, I could call in and, and have a character speak to me. I could respond. It records my response. 
So it was pretty, you know, low tech at the time in my in my okay. mind. So it wasn't it was, dynamic. It was just right. it, would, it would ask you something and then it would record your response and you would kind of go through this process. Right, exactly. And you know, so I was, you know, kind of doing the um uh rapid kind of product development. So I would get it out there, I'd get in front of a customer, they'd give me feedback, then I'd add that feature, you know. So just kind of constantly, you know, iterating on the product. And 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 I, you know, build it up to be a pretty significant product. I mean, HP had 19,000 people worldwide using it in 10 languages. Oh, okay. You know, so I learned a lot about speech and transcription and voice analytics. Then I added a feature that would measure the emotion in your voice. Okay. So sentiment? No, no not, oh, no, not sen so sentiment is looking at the word and deciding if that's a good word or a bad word, or if you okay. meant it's good or bad. Good yeah. Okay. So the actual emotion behind it. So by, it's a biometric um, form of uh, analyzing your voice. And that took me down this whole other path around um, emotions and, and, you know, interpretation of, you know, when you hear somebody right away, you know, like your friend, if you call a friend on the phone, and they say hello, you know, instantly if there's yeah. something wrong. So why is that? You know, so you, you know, I really went down this deep, deep path of analyzing <laughs> voice and the the meaning interpretation because, uh, you know, 60% of our communication is verbal, you know, and, and if we're not interpreting that in a way that determines, you know, are you trustworthy? So there's a company out of Texas called, um, used to be unified communications, but something else now. And they analyzed Anderson Cooper versus Walter Cronkite. Okay. And they said, Walter Cronkite is more trustworthy. Hmm. And they broke it down by the harmonic tonality in their voices. But the one element that really distinguished Walter Cronkite versus Anderson Cooper is that he spoke slower. Interesting. So if you just speak slower and add pauses you're, you're exuding confidence, but you're also saying, okay, I'm not nervous, right? If I'm, I'm speaking at a slower pace. So when I was um, training salespeople, I said, if you could just speak a little bit slower, you know, you're going to build that trust in, in, in yeah. sales. Building trust is everything, right? Yeah. It's, it's all about trust. Right. And, and especially today where you can't even go see anybody, everybody right. has to do it virtually. So you've got to find ways and techniques of how do I build trust and credibility? And a lot of that is through your voice. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So I have to ask though, on this one, was it, <laughs> this has nothing to do with what you just, but so you called into this, was it like a phone number? I have to, did you, did you just oh, dial this phone uh, number that you called in? You could, you could call in or I could send you a text message and you click on the link and it calls you. Okay. Yeah, and then I and then I created something called Talk to CRM. So imagine every CRM out there, everybody you know hates updating their CRM. Yep. yep. Right. So I created a product called Talk to CRM, and what it would do is it would know that okay, at ten o'clock you have a meeting at John Deere, and an hour from then I'm going to send you a link in your uh, text message, and you just click on that link, and uh, I created a voice form that said okay. How did the meeting go? So you just, you know, okay. it puts that in the notes section of that record. Now, uh, who's their competitors? So press one for Caterpillar, press two for whatever, you know, so you get a, a determine. So at that time, voice still wasn't super good. So I would do kind of key presses for certain. Okay, you did key presses. Right, yeah. right. But whatever you said went in the notes section. And as soon as you hung up that phone, that record was updated in Salesforce. Okay. Um. Nobody bought that for me. Really? <laughs> I'm just Are you like, serious? Yes. I'm just like, why aren't, you know, any sales rep I would share that with are like, where is this? How do I get this? I said, well, nobody bought it for me. So I just kind of dropped the product. That is, to me, that's a, that's a big miss, right? Because I, I, I agree, you know, on the sales side, there's a lot of time, windshield time spent and, one of the things that is most annoying is sitting there having to go home. Yep. I was a sales rep very early in my career, but you had to go home and then you'd like log in, you'd fill out the stuff. You forgot the details. You didn't remember. Yep. And so you just yep. didn't do it. And then the organization would complain that our CRM wasn't up to date and we need to yep. get more data in here and our data is bad. People aren't doing it. You're going to get your bonus unless the record, you know, now they're tying compensation to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Instead of removing the barriers and saying that should be 
Easy. Yeah. We've got, we've got captain. <laughs> we have one person that's like that CRM updating should be I'll, a huge I'll it If you buy it for me, I will. Yeah, well, there you go. You got, you got something new we can focus on there. So right. yeah, I agree. And, and I think there's tremendous potential for that. I, I look at the power of voice right now and feel like it's vastly underutilized and we'll dig into that. But I'm curious, having been in this space, you know, back when I was actually with the company doing change management when they were flipping from flip phones to Blackberry. So I remember that time period pretty well. Um, And so I'm curious, as you were looking at voice then where you would call or get a text and you would do this kind of robotic transaction, Mm -hmm. how has technology shifted? Because one of the things we were talking about before we went live is, right, there were things we did 10, 20 years ago due to the limitations we had on technology. Now technology has changed significantly. And we talked about a few of them, but how have you seen that evolve over time? Certainly uh, transcription has gotten way, way better. You know, I, I, cause I would, I would transcribe what your responses were and then I would do a keyword search. Well, part of the problem was the transcriptions were still pretty poor back then. Uh, and actually had to find a, I needed to find a company that would let me pay them on consumption. Versus having to pay all this money up front. And I found a research firm out of uh, France, (laughs) actually, and they usually did TV broadcast stuff. And so they would use them. But it I would still have to iterate. You know, if I said two in the tool that I built, I would have to put T-O-O, T-W-O, T-O, you know, you know, different iterations of that word so that you still get credit for saying the right word, even though the transcription came out incorrect. Okay. So transcription has gotten much, much better. And you were talking about that, uh, that tool. Yeah. The app Descript. Script. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> you know, so I've seen that getting much, much better. Um, the analytics of voice out there today, you know, so, you know, so I work with a lot of call centers. So call centers have really pushed, pushed the envelope around voice, voice analytics. Um, and then there's biometrics, so emotion analytics. So looking at the emotion in your voice, and and now uh, the company that I once used through an API called Beyond Verbal, uh, they're out of Israel. Now they're using it for health, detecting health. Uh, okay. You know, so it's it's um, it's really gone pretty far. Okay, so let's break this down a little bit because people who may be watching may not be super familiar with kind of this whole piece. And and I know, you know, I've been in conversations before where the advancement in transcription, a lot of times people miss the importance of that. And I and I think um, it's it's easy to overlook like, well, why is that so critical to be able to speed up and improve the accuracy of transcription. So I'm curious, you know, you said it's improved a lot, but how has that improvement, you gave one example, how has that dramatically changed things? Um, well, think about all the digital assistants out there or the, you know, this, you know, the series, the Alexas, all, you know, they're actually transcribing what you say, you know, yep. even though they're super fast, they still have to. So any of those intelligent agents out there using a combination of NLP, natural language processing, uh, transcription and text to speech, and it's happening at lightning speed. So it has to really determine, you know, did I transcribe this correctly? Did I interpret it in the domain space of how to respond to you properly and make those lightning fast decisions? So the, the, the higher accuracy of that transcription, um, I, again, I think mobile devices and apps have really pushed the envelope. The, the consumer side of any of this the consumers drive the advancement of all of this. Um, you know, that's one thing I've observed in, at the enterprise space. You know, they weren't pushing the envelope around NLP. It was the consumer side and the intelligent okay. agents. They were pushing the envelope of making that that technology better. Okay. Yeah, it's funny because I think a lot of times people, we take for granted what's actually going on in the background. We don't necessarily understand it. We just say, well, I just say, hey, Alexa, mm-hmm. and magic happens. And it's like, well, no, Alexa's listening to what you're saying. It's actually breaking that down. It's then analyzing what was said. And that's where I've even seen, right, the accuracy of things. You used to have to say, hey, Alexa, 30 times to get it for the right question, because it wasn't actually hearing what you were saying and transcribing it, right? So it was making decisions on the wrong information. And now mm-hmm. as that accuracy improves, I can only imagine that's where we're also seeing the lightning speed. The example Descript I was sharing you, sharing with you, yeah. it can transcribe in real time. Like as you're talking, it's literally 
boom, 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 doing yeah. that. And the speed of that to me yeah. is just insane. Exactly. Yeah. And, and um, so I was doing a presentation a while back and I used um, Alexa and Google and Siri. I did like a little smackdown of okay. making them the panel. And just did you, know, you use my intro music as like the kickoff for it? Because it would have been perfect for a for yeah, an Alexa that's, series. That's background. true. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> so I asked all three of them the same kind of you know questions. It started off with softball ones, like where do babies come from and things like that. But the one question that they didn't all get right was what is AI? And Siri got it completely wrong. Uh, Alexa and Google pretty much had it uh, spot on. You know, so at the end of that. A uh, series of questions. I asked the audience to vote. You know who was the best, you know, more accurate AI, and it was Alexa actually won. Which Google was close, but um, surprisingly, you know, people rely a lot on Siri, but she wasn't that great. In, in fact, the, the co-creator of Siri is here in Chicago. Or, uh, I think he moved back to Chicago, and he's got a, a difficult last name to pronounce. Okay. So a reporter from the Chicago Tribune said, you know, I was going to go visit Dechtlack because I think his last name, something like that. And he goes, okay, Siri, uh, direction, phone number to something, something Dechtlack. And they, Siri couldn't even get the name right. Couldn't even get that. Couldn't <laughs> even get the author. You think okay. you would throw that you into didn't, You didn't include Cortana in that? Cortana wasn't in the mix? No. Okay. No. All right. All right. Well, so let's, but let's talk about some of the application of this, right? Okay. Because we talked about, um, yeah. So I, well, one of the questions that came in actually, before we go to this, let's talk a little bit about the backend stuff behind it. So we talked, you talked about Google versus Alexa. What are some of those differences between the two or how do you, how do you actually kind of think about, you know, how do you differentiate between, um, different AIs? Um, I'm trying to think how I want to best answer this. So it depends how you're using it for, first okay. of all. You know, if you're using it, that's something tied into your own personal device, it's using machine learning to learn how to respond to you. Okay. If you're using it for, uh, let's say, a learning activity or an enterprise type activity, um, unless you are a, um, a programmer uh, and, and know certain languages, you can't get too far with the, they provide free tools. I mean, Alexa has the skills, tools that are free. So just, you know, just, you know, Google search. Alexa skills, and it has a really slick free tool that you can build your own voice conversation application for. Okay. But the problem with that is it's limited <clears throat> and you can't really st store captured uh, some of the results of that easily either. Uh, then Google has, you know, a, a dialogue tool. So you can, you can then tie in, you know, location. Okay. So if anything on your mobile device, location, uh, GPS, all of that, um, you can tie into your voice form. But, you know, so I'm trying to think of, you know, so that you can't, you know, and again, it's public. So it's out there. So if you want something that's private, a private voice type of interaction or intelligent agent, then you have to go to some other tools. And so, you know, we've got one that we that we've used and it's uh, you want to look for something that's a, a no code tool. Okay. Because, you know, I'm sure most of your audience is like me. I'm not a programmer. I'm very super tech savvy, but I don't code and I, I don't want to learn how to code. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a whole nother language, yeah. right? You know, um, you know, but think of think how you can use hands free. You know, we can't touch people anymore. Right. So voice yep. could be a great hands free way of interacting with someone or interacting with a learning activity through voice controls. So when I had my other uh, company, I designed in an IVR, which is interactive voice response system, teaching somebody how to change a flat tire. Okay. Right. So step number one, put the emergency brake on. Everybody forgets that, you know, now tell me when you're ready for the next step. Okay. You know, so you can build it so that it's listening to you. Um, so I used another example of uh, teaching somebody how to um, do something in PowerPoint. So okay. the intelligent agent, you just wait for the next prompt. Um, so think about how you can use voice conversations just to teach you something and prompt you for something. So that's just kind of level one. Level two then is if you respond in a way that's not expected. So uh, the example I give is sales quota. You know, if you're going to ask somebody, did you meet sales quota? It's a simple yes or no response, right? Yep. 
what if what if I say none of your darn business? <laughs> you know, I I don't have to talk to you. You're not my boss. You're not the boss of me. You know, so that would be a pretty dramatic response, but yes, I, I suppose it could happen. <laughs> right, right. So you have to just like Alexa, if they don't understand, they'll say, Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't understand that. Okay. Or or, or how many times are you gonna let somebody not respond to comply with the expected yes or no answer? And then if I say no, I didn't meet sales quota, then the conversation tree gets bigger. So what are the series of questions that I could ask you if you said no, I didn't meet sales quota? Okay. So you just have to, and the tree gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, you know, so like a little flow chart. And so when people start to build voice and conversational learning activities, you always have to think of what if, what if somebody isn't complying and how do I want to treat that? Okay. Yeah. So on this one, so, because I think we can dig into this a little bit and I'm curious how you, how you tackle or your perspective on how you tackle this, because the application of this. I think is extremely wide. One of the examples you just brought up, right, is is almost kind of this rote walk you through step-by-step guidance, but it's hand-free guidance, which can work great, especially in environments where you might need to be using your hands for whatever task it is that you're doing. And you can't sit and look at a you know manual or look at your phone for the steps. It can walk you through that. With that, though the the example you gave where you're asking a prompt and you're and you're changing, you're going with that conversation. I've done branching stuff in the past and mm-hmm. branching stuff can go crazy yes. real quick, right? In in theory, it can just turn into this abyss of possibilities. Yeah. How, how do you work with that to manage that, to avoid it going too far or becoming so complicated, it ends up becoming a mess you can no longer maintain? Yeah. So just like intelligent agents, you have to put it into a domain. Okay. So- so if this is a learning activity, I am teaching you how to do X. We're going to stick to that domain. If you, okay. if I'm teaching you like the flat tire, if I'm teaching you how to flat tire, you can say, well, what temperature should I put this at? It has it, nothing to do with it. Has nothing to do with changing a flat tire. So okay. you build into the, the um, learning activity, you know, redirection, you okay. know, keeping them on task or what's the best practice for that. So I get that a lot with um, the simulations that we build. They're like, well, you know, what if I say X? I said, keep in mind, you are teaching them the best practice method of this particular learning activity. Okay. Yes, they could go off and, you know, do whatever, but you're framing it in the context of this particular moment and in this particular activity. So you have to you know, kind of get people's heads wrapped around keeping it in that domain and, and framing it that way. Because, yeah, I mean, you could go a gazillion different ways, but you've got a bot that's sitting there watching you more or less, uh, in a digital world. And it's saying, okay, I'm looking for this input or this variety of inputs. And if you give the right input, then we're going to move on, or I'm going to respond to you, you know, in this manner, if you don't give me the right input, then you have to decide how many times are you going to let them give the wrong input? And then how do you want the bot to react? Okay. Okay. So, So, So it goes back to, and this is something I think everyone in this space, we can always continue to get better at is almost deconstructing what we're trying to write. What is that activity or that outcome we're trying to achieve? And let's, let's distill it down instead of saying like, well, what are all the possibilities and how do we count for all of them? Be a little more focused on if this is where we're trying to get, let's think about how do we keep people in the lanes with that though, mm-hmm. the challenge that I personally have seen with simulations. And I think they've come a long way since is that the human nature of conversation and the way we interact with people isn't, is messy, right? right? We, we have right. conversations with people and they ask questions like what celebrity voice would you have when you're supposed to be talking about NLP? And that is kind of how the nature of conversations, how are you seeing NLP? How are you seeing this technology now start to better adapt for mm-hmm. the dynamic nature of conversation? I mean, yes, you can keep it in the lanes, but also how can you expand on that? Or can you? Yeah, that's that's really tough. In fact, I'm participating in a voice summit next next week, uh, hosted by Amazon and Google. And so you've got a lot of v- voice view, v- voice user design okay. out there, and and a lot of them because <laughs> um, I went to the very first one that they had, and, and you've got a lot of these designers in the audience. They said, "Well, the very, everything every time we build a bot, one of the things we always build into it is the question: What are you wearing?'" 
because <laughs> <laughs> every you know if you're if you know oh this is a bot okay are, are you a real person i'm going to ask you this question uh you know so so they're having to build in some of these triggers that you know the way that they're building them better is that they're collecting the inputs so the collect the inputs um in machine learning so machine learning is helping with that <clears throat> helping them be more dynamic but at the same time <clears throat> you still have to keep it to a cer certain domain and <clears throat> excuse me but um i don't use machine learning in in our in our world right now i mean we probably could uh, but again, we're designing for a very specific learning activity yeah. and a very specific conversation and, and want to do that. Um, but also using bots to give you feedback, you know, think about, um, you know, if I'm doing something um, and I'm stuck somewhere, you know, in, in a tool. So just imagine, you know, where I see this going is uh, intelligent agents for the enterprise. You know, you think about the knowledge management tools that were out there, the SharePoints yeah. that were out there. Imagine if you could turn that into a bot that would just say, hey, how do I do this again? And zip, zip, zip. It would say, oh, yeah, you got to log into this tag here, click on, click on this tab and da, 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 da. You know, so I think that's where it can go and really help people because, you know, what I share with people is conversation is our most natural form of communicating. You know, when you're a baby, they don't teach you how to do math when you're, you know, infant, they, they first thing to say, mama, dada, you know, that's the most natural way for us to communicate with each other. So why aren't we using more of these conversational tools in, in the work environment? And, uh, you know, that's kind of where we're trying to push the envelope a little bit, but, okay. but collecting the inputs and collecting what people are saying, um, that will help build better bots. So okay. to speak. Yeah, the more, I mean, the more, the, and again, anything, I think anything when you look at artificial intelligence, machine learning, any of those, the more data you have, the more accurate it's going to be. And I think this is where we still have, I, I don't know if you saw, um, you know, a little bit of a side bend, but if you saw what, you know, IBM got out of facial recognition, the facial recognition business, because of the bias that was involved in that. And I think that one of the questions, Corrine, I think this is you who asked this, right? But part of the reason IBM got out of it was because of the risk of bias and things like that with, with facial recognition. I have to imagine there's the same potential for voice, right? There's different dialects, there's different accents, there's different, even yeah. just linguistic capabilities, the way we communicate with one another. How, you know, as you look at this, do you do you validate and make sure that you're not building something that only works with a very small subset of people? Yeah, I mean, uh, part of the whole bias is who's designing AI to begin with. Uh, so most of, the, most of the data scientists are male. Um, and so there's lots of conversations around the people that are building AI are already biased. So there's built-in yeah. bias just by the nature of who's building the machines, right? Uh, but there's also studies around male versus female voices in the bot. So female voices okay. are preferred. So that's already been kind of detected. Uh, and then there's a study I found that uh, people are starting to trust a bot more than their manager. Really? Yeah. 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 Because the bot is objective versus subjective. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's certainly bias in the technology just by the nature of, unfortunately, uh, we need more diversity in the people that are building these machines. Yeah. Well, and I think that's, you know, the, the other piece too, going back to the data set standpoint, there's just a lot of, and I think this is where, while well, some people kind of freak out a little bit about, you know, the phones listening and these devices all listening to us, to some degree, to me, this is how it's going to get better because they're going to hear different right. voices. They're going to hear different ways people talk. They're going to hear all these different accents and languages, which is going to create a massive database that's going to allow the technology yeah. to be more accurate. So while a little bit scary. It's like, well, but that's actually how we actually remove the bias from the system. In addition to, like you said, having the mindset of the designers, the architects having more diversity in thought. Yeah. And, and I will say, uh, you know, we're using Microsoft's speech recognition engine and we had a situation where um, the employees that were using it had very, very, very heavy accents. And they thought our simulator wasn't working. And I said, mm, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna guess that their accents are really heavy. Okay. And and then they put them in production on on a technical support line, and the customers kept complaining, we can't understand them. Okay. So it can be used as a good predictor 
of how well you're communicating or what your skill set is. So, so now it becomes an English proficiency tool. Okay. Because they're calibrated to learn, you know, you can have, you can have an accent and still, it still works. But if you have a super, super heavy accent, um, the machines predict that a human can't understand you. Okay. So you can actually use it to predictively start seeing, Hey, we have a breakdown and some of it, maybe people aren't even understanding the agents because right. our own AI isn't actually detecting it, allowing you to find a business performance problem. That isn't really even a training problem. Per exactly. Se. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, we, we say we have predictive, it's a predictive tool, not only of, can you perform this task correctly, but can you interact accurately in a, at the expected level that we want you to. Okay. So before we go, cause I want to go into um, a little bit, some other applications of, of this, but one of the questions I'm curious if you've seen this, um, you know, regarding the kind of step-by-step guidance stuff. And to me, this is where I see you combine augmented reality, you combine NLP, you combine a lot of this stuff. We really can move to almost the the ways or Google Maps yes. for real life, right? Yeah. Where we can say, hey, I'm trying to do this. We can speak, we can get feedback, we can actually have digital support layered on top of it. I'm curious if you're seeing anybody taking it this far? Are they going this far yet? And if so, you know, what, what are they doing to make that be yeah. built? The contact lenses, that would be pretty crazy. But even like, you know, <laughs> something like, like the Google Glass, is anybody doing that that you've seen so far? Uh, I've not seen. So I just moderated um, a month ago, a augmented reality, uh, virtual reality um, event. Okay. It's an organization called Hub 88 here in Chicago. And uh, the gentleman that I was interviewing on the panel, he said that, if you know, there will the glasses, the, you know, the kind of goggle type things, those yep. were those will become more like eyeglasses. Uh, he says, but it's still pretty far off okay. because of the complexity of what has to be built into that that technology and the way that you produce the content to be displayed in that type of device. So I, I, I say it's it's pretty far off, you know, unless you've got a lot of money to throw behind it. Um, and even voice with that, you know, interacting and having conversations in an augmented reality, uh, or virtual reality is, is a challenge, you know? And so well, now you have to marry the two together, right. Yeah. Which, which adds another layer of complexity. Yes. yes. And then you got to think about, um, the equipment. So even in my world, you know, I have to teach people how to set up their microphone and make sure that they're. Uh, speech recognition engine is turned on and make sure that they have the right language package and, you know, all these. So it's not, you know, it's not a matter of just flipping a switch or, or putting an app on your phone. Cause you know, apps on your phone already do that behind the scenes for you. Okay. So you have to think of the, you still have to worry about the microphone and the equipment and, and um, the environment that you're using for this. So there's okay. still that, that's, that's not a seamless um, element just yet. So I guess that, that as a follow-up question for me then um, to you is, so as you look at kind of some of this stuff, does mobile actually reduce some of the barriers to being able to do it well, because so much of that is just natively built in to yes. the device versus a lot of computers may not have that capability yeah. naturally there. Yeah. I, I think we're going to get there just because everybody's zooming. <laughs> <laughs> right. you know, everybody's had to run out and, and uh, get microphones or get cameras or get the, the ring light and all that, you know? Um, so I think this has accelerated people, you know, upping their game with their computer, but mobile devices certainly make that more seamless. Okay. Plus everybody has one with them pretty much all yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, that, you know, and that's why I went down that route originally with my uh, first voice tool. So I'm like, everybody, Everybody has this device. You know, why aren't we using this as a learning tool? And, and I came out with the very first, um, there's a company called Hot Lava. And they came out with the very first LMS for mobile devices. Okay. And I bought into that pretty hot and heavy and, and added my voice tool into their mobile. So they designed content and quizzes and things like that. Uh, they eventually sold to, I forget the, the name of that company. That company got bought by uh, IBM. Um, so we became part of the IBM learning space, but I don't even know if the product's still around anymore. Okay. <clears throat> well, what's interesting about it that, um, you know, I think is, is something that we can take from that is, so you talk about mobile learning and 
the power of voice with that. And one of the things that I think is a bit of a miss when we think about mobile learning in the L&D spaces, so often we think about mobile learning of how do we take the stuff we were doing with a computer before and how do we now make it accessible on mobile, mm-hmm. which isn't necessarily always a bad thing because we still right. do use our phones kind of like a computer, um, while, while be it the, the human behavior is a little bit different. But where we missed the mark was what you saw back with the Blackberries was, well, what do we use a phone for? We yeah. talk, right? Talk. That. So if we're going to go mobile learning, let's use the tool for conversation, things like that. Not just, well, now let's display. To me, I think it's one of the pitfalls sometimes we can run into where we just take what we were doing before and we just plunk it Compress in it. area instead yeah. of thinking, well, dynamically, we need to shift the whole way we're thinking about this now because the user experience of the device and the purpose has changed. Right, right. Yeah, so that's... So when I went down the whole mobile route, it was like, okay, so IVRs, interactive voice response system. So I can I can speak into a phone, I can hear something else in the phone, and then I can say something that's recorded. So I had to actually pay this company uh, some extra money to stitch the entire conversation together. So that was the missing element that was you that we put in that was proprietary. Is like, yeah, I can capture a response, but if it's I'm just hearing your response in isolation, that's no good. So the very one of the very first people that I really got to um, get jazzed about about this was a professor at Northern Illinois University. He teaches sales. They have a sales curriculum. Okay. And he says, uh, <laughs> so I put together a a sample uh, script for him to you know just call this number and you're going to hear this character talk to you and you hear the beep you're going to respond back. And he said the very first time I did it, I froze in my tracks. He's like, oh my god. And he's like, wait a minute, this is the experience I want my students to have. Okay. Because if they're going to go in sales, into sales as a career, they have to think on their feet. They have to, you know, respond immediately. There's no, and the great thing about the telephone or that phone tech technology is I can't pause it. I can't back it up. You know, if you want it to be a realistic kind of learning experience, you want to put people in a position to make them uncomfortable initially. And then it's like, you know, do it maybe the second time or the third time, then they get more comfortable with it. But you want to put them kind of in that on the spot type of situation, especially, you know, for sales training. Yeah. And, you know, he loves it. So then he, he every single class, I, I, this is probably like going on six years now, he's used it in his classroom. And uh, they actually got hired by Second City to do cold calling for them. Okay. <laughs> which was very interesting. Interesting. So they, they, they were uh, using it. So we created scripts around, hi, I'm so-and-so uh, from Second City. And we're selling our professional you know, training programs. So they were using our tool to teach college students how to be a sales rep. Okay. Got it. Got it. Interesting to see how that's kind of evolved and, and the different applications of it. That well, The other part you brought up that's interesting is it's amazing how some of these newer technologies or these different ways of applying things, you can talk about it, but until people experience it, the light bulb doesn't go off, right? Where you can right. say, hey, you could, you could do, I'm sure, right, that professor, you could say, hey, we could we could record this conversation and step you through these things. And it might be, yeah, okay, yeah. I, you know, I get it. Maybe I don't really see it. And then you do it and you go, oh, oh. wow. Okay. I understand yeah, I how this is doing it. Yeah. So, and I would, I would do demos. Like, I'm like, all right, I'm just going to call your phone number right now on the spot. And it would then push that, that simulation out to them. And, and yeah, it's the hands-on experience. It's, it, you know, jumping in. Um, I always, you know, the one thing I really talk about in uh, the learning space is I've built thousands of hours of training and I had no clue if anybody could actually do anything, do anything after that. Yep. Right. And that's why, you know, I, I got so excited about this soft, the simulation software. Cause I'm like, Oh, I, I know whether or not you can do this job now. Yes. And, and I'm saying, why aren't more and more uh, companies or learning companies out there pushing the envelope around demonstrating skill, the skills that have been acquired? How do you, you know, LMS right. can't do it. SCORM can't do it. Nope. Even XAI kind of might be able to do it, but you know, hands-on, tracking it step by step by step that I was successful at this and I moved on to the next step to the next step. Oh, it took me three times to get that step right. You know, that's where I think learning needs to go because I evangelized LMSs when they first came out. Um, 
I, you know, have sold They're amazing in their time. They were, I mean, and it was, it, it was, it was a very scalable way to get content out there in a, um, in a manner that everybody was consistently getting the same information the same way. Right. Um, but you know, if I'm, if I'm, in a classroom, if I'm the instructor in a classroom, I can't tell if people are actually learning anything. Right. If I design the best whiz bang, you know, you know, you know, really graphical, beautiful drag and drop, all that stuff and storyline, I still can't tell you for a fact that somebody actually can t perform that task. Right. So I found a study that said only 8% of CEOs see a direct correlation between the money they spend on training and business impact. Okay. And that's why everybody in the audience, that's why training gets cut. When right. soon as the first strings get pulled tight, guess what? They're cutting training budgets immediately because we can't demonstrate through the tools that we use today, how people are actually learning and applying it to the job. Yeah. And please somebody chime in on chat. If you've got another way <laughs> of doing that, I would love, I would love to know. I would love well, to and, and the thing about it is right. Kind of. And we talked about this before we went live a little bit where, where sometimes it, causes an eruption in the industry is that it's a, it's not an this or that, right? It's not that, oh, the, the content distribution, the education component is wrong or bad. It's right. that we have to take it to the next level. Otherwise you end up in that CEO situation where they go, this is great. We have lots of engagement. People did People this. Stuff. I, mean, it's good. I recognize that's part of the process, but at the end of the day, I still don't know whether they're able to do anything with that that's where there's a gap. And to me, as soft skills continue to, especially with what's happened right over the last right. two months, right. as soft skills continue to drive and communication is one of the biggest ones right now that people are saying, do people know how to communicate? Voice is such a powerful way to truly assess, can someone hmm. do this or how do they do this? Right. Can they have a difficult conversation? And so the question, and this was one of the things that, um, We'll, we'll tie back to a little bit is as you look at this, one of the things we talked about was the fact that, you know, there's always this feeling of, well, a person can do that now. And mm -hmm. how, how, I know your answer to this and I know mine too, but we'll throw it out for the benefit of everybody listening is how do the machines actually do a better job in some regards of being able to provide that feedback to someone on how they performed in a conversation? Well, they're very objective for one thing, you know, it's consistently objective versus subjective. And, you know, when you build in a, a, if you have a tool that's really what I call listening, I mean, it's observing, it's listening to you, you know, I'm trying to think, for example, in, um, uh, we, we created a simulation around teaching somebody to do active listening. Okay. And as you said, they de you know, they reverse engineered it. Basically, what, what's really involved in active listening? And the one element that's always missing is paraphrasing. So let me make sure I understand you, Mr. Customer or Mrs. Customer. You know, that one element, you know, so the SME on that, that task, he says, you know, it really forced me to think through how do we want people to, you know, interact conversationally when they're helping customers. And he says, this is really helping me think of what's good, better, and best, and let the machine track and measure that. Yep. And so, number one, it's a scalable way to help people learn a skill or upskill that's consistent. But building it, but it's forcing you to think through what what is good communication? Yeah. You know, how do I want people to respond to me? And then put them in that domain. So put them back in that box, right? So the machine can guide you appropriately, you know, when you're not doing it correctly. Yeah. Well, and that, and that gets to the point where what we were talking about is the fact sometimes the reason people get concerned is they feel like, well, what's my role? Is the machine taking my job from me? Are, are we just going to have voice bots becoming right? taking away the role of L and D. And my answer to that is no, no. to your point, what you just talked about our human role is still to actually figure out what do we want machines to be looking for? Mm -hmm. you know, the role of an L&D leader to be thinking about a business leader may say, my, my sales reps need to be better communicators. Okay. That, that yeah, exactly. Right. What, what does that mean? Our role is to say, well, let's figure out what that actually means. What are those data points that we should be looking for? 
what does good versus bad look like where the machine comes in is to your point it's assessing those objectively every time mm-hmm. right it's it's not i had a bad day so i'm going to give nancy a pass cuz i just am not really in the mood to fill right. out this behavioral metric it's it's just rote going through it over and over and over consistently and creating it at a scale I mean, yeah, I guess if you have an army of trainers, of tutors that have nothing better to do than have one-on-one conversations, but I don't think anybody in this business has that luxury. Not any, yeah, no. And, and you think about it, you know, as far as bias too, you know, think of your, if you're doing role-playing and you've got somebody that's the observer or the, or the coach or whatever, they may have their own biases built in and in the, in the type of feedback that they're giving you because of their own bias. Right. Well, and it gets back to the earlier question around how do you eliminate the bias out? Now, granted, that still leaves the challenge of making sure that the you know transcription, the analysis of the voice, you've removed bias from that. But yes, to your point in terms of the actual assessment, right, you, you've eliminated that now. I hear this voice, my own personal bias automatically makes me more of a skeptic of what they're saying or I'm assessing them harder than I would with somebody who sounds different to me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and also with the, the self-paced, you know, side of it, you know, so what I get from a lot of the call centers we work with is like, yeah, this is great because if somebody is zipping through the simulation and they're performing great and another person might be slower, you know, instead, so they, they can get people onboarded much, much faster than if they had to force everybody to be in a classroom, all learning at the same time, all getting this, you know, waiting for the instructor to give them feedback or to watch them, you know, so the machine can say, you're, you're accelerating, let's move you up, move you up, move you up, you know, so the machine can do all that in an automated fashion versus waiting for the instructor to kind of make their observations, give them your feedback uh, or delayed feedback. You know, there's a lot of studies around immediate versus delayed feedback too. So the bots can give you immediate feedback. Yeah. That, you know, you're reacting in real time versus completing a task, sending it to your manager. Manager takes time, gives you the feedback or, or never gives you feedback. Or never. Yeah, I was going to say, or you never get that never. feedback. Yeah. Yeah. So think about sales coaching. So that's, you know, that's one area that I wanted to dive into was sales coaching because um, Harvard put out a, a, a paper around, you know, sales managers watch the top percent and the lower percent, but nobody's dealing with that middle ground, those average performers. And if you could coach those people to make a 10% improvement in their performance, think how much more revenue you'd be able to generate by a 10% bump in the the majority of your sales staff. Yeah. So if you could have bots kind of doing that for you, you're not saying that the sales managers shouldn't be involved, but if you somehow have a way to, you know, dive into that CRM look to see how close to quota they are within a certain period of the month. <clears throat> and the bot could be triggered to, you know, you know, serve up some kind of conversation with them around, okay, uh, I see you're at 10% of your goal right now. What do you think you need to do to improve it? So just by getting people speaking, it's a different cognitive skill of the brain and it gets people emotionally engaged because when you're talking and having a conversation, you're, you as a human, you just naturally get involved emotionally. So even if it's a bot, you're, you know, forcing someone to, you know, speak this information, just like when people say, if you write your goals down versus typing them down, you're going to remember them better. Same thing with speaking. If you're speaking, it creates more accountability around what you're saying and what you're committing to, if you're speaking it and verbalizing it. Okay. Well, and what's interesting, and and that makes sense, right? Because now you're actually having to take it, right? And, And you think about it, it's because of the process you actually have to go through to speak it. Because first you have to think it, you have to formulate, right, what that response is, and then be able to verbally articulate. There's more of a process that you're actually putting into there um, to actually bring that to life. So I can see where right. that would have a right. powerful impact. Yeah. And just like, um, you know, our, our simulator, you know, it's it's letting you have that two-sided conversation versus looking at, say, a storyline course that was created to say, which, which is the best response? And you just click on it versus actually verbalizing Right. You're now processing what you think, and now you have to articulate that back, which what's interesting about it, I've I've run some experiments with this um, over the past few years, because I think sometimes when when people get into the voice space, they they not that again, it's a bad thing. They get very limited in only in just like, how do we create a conversation simulation, which 
you absolutely can do that. But even sometimes getting just answer this question or answer this thing and get feedback on, right. you know, how, how you performed things like that. And going back to your point earlier about how it can detect emotion and the words you choose, mm. you can actually give people dynamic feedback on, Hey, deliver this message, record yes. it, actually do it. And then get feedback on here's what you did, your, the speed mm -hmm. of your voice, you know, slow down. You right. said, um, 837 times. You didn't sound very confident in the way you delivered that message. That's yeah. powerful stuff. Yeah. Well, uh, I used to give a, uh, a webinar, how your voice can make or break the sale. And I've, and the very first thing I start out with is this, a quote by Maya Angelou is that people may not remember what you said, but they will remember how you made how you said it. Yep. And so the, and, uh, also the, the words that you choose, you know, is only communicating X percenting. It's, it's the way that you say it. It's the style that you say it in, you know, so I shared in that webinar, different techniques and voice styles that you can use depending upon the type of conversation, you know, so I'll say like, if your voice goes up and down, up and down, right. You know, it's kind of like, so uh, I said, think of uh, TV evangelists. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it builds credibility when you go up and down or pause, you know, and things like that. But if you're speaking really fast, da, 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 you know, you're excited, you're trying to get somebody jazzed. But if you spoke like that all the time, it's right. exhausting. It's exhausting. Hearing people speak like that is exhausting. <laughs> Listening to that. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yes, I agree. You can, you can take it for so long and then it hits a point where you go, I, I have no more energy. You've, you've now drained the energy from me. Yeah. Yeah. So, so two, five, there's one, before we run out of time, there's one area I want to get into, but I am curious. One of the questions, or actually one of the questions um, from Vinod that I'm curious about is, do you, as you've been in this path, have you seen any of the data around, right, the adoption rate? Are people using this? I will say personally, I've tried to use Siri sometimes, and then like I forget about it, and then she just annoys me because she hears me say serious and then chimes yeah. in, and I just end up turning it off because I'm I'm doing that. Are people getting more comfortable with this? And this is actually a good lead into my next question. Um, yes and no. Okay. Um, I, I don't see, uh, when Siri first came out, there was a lot of heavy use of it, I believe. Um, I, I, I've seen that drop off a little bit. Now I've seen Alexa um, being used a lot. I use Google Voice, you know, because I have an Android phone. Um, I, I will say COVID is probably going to force a lot more applications for hands-free yeah, yeah. stuff out there. So it's 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 kind of forcing people now down back down that path. So I think we're gonna see an increase in that. Okay. I, I like how, as you said, it's gonna force us to go hands-free. I just touched my face and I realized I did that. I'm like, oh. <laughs> so, but this goes, this goes back to this next kind of avenue I wanna go down is there is the whole data privacy and, and the ethics behind some of this that I think sometimes creates some resistance. And I've seen it, um, you know, over the years where people were a little sometimes nervous about, okay, you're capturing this data about me. What are you doing with it? What's happening with it? Right. How do you manage that so that you can get in front of that or, you know, kind of protect people? Because at the same time, you, you know a lot about people if you know a lot about the way they talk, the way they communicate, the way they interact with people, which can be good, but it can also be terrifying on the end user side. Well, again, I think the consumer market is driving a lot of that. You know, you think of the the cameras and the security devices, the the Alexas, the Google assistants and things like that. Um, and it's just like the, the internet. You don't think that the internet is everything like you watching your literal every single move right exactly i mean so you have you have to decide it, it, how much of that do you want to have captured uh and just put things in place for that because you know now i'm like yeah everybody probably has my passwords to everything everybody has all my my search records you know i know i can tell when people are opening up my email you know so what it don't be silly to think that people can't track all of that i just think it's a full-time job trying to monitor and police all that. So you either succumb to it and accept it or you put things in place to um, lock it down. Okay. <laughs> it's funny you bring up that point because I do think there is, to some degree, it's amazing the things people freak out about from a, from a privacy standpoint. And then you look at it and you go, 
do you see what you post on Facebook? Yeah. Like, are you aware of like how much information you're throwing out there just willy nilly into the void of who knows where that everybody can see for you? So, yeah, I, I discovered the other day there's this uh, uh, payment app I had on my phone and anybody that I had sent a text message to ever, I was seeing their history of what they were paying because I'm like, oh my gosh. So I went into the security settings to, to remove that so people couldn't see what I was paying for. Uh, um, but I'm like, how am I seeing all these other transactions from yeah. these people? And it's just, so you got to pay attention, you know, it's just yeah. being aware of what's going on. And I think that's a big part of the role that we in L and D need to play with that is that we need to be intentional and thoughtful about this stuff and be in front of it. Because what I can say is where I've had success in, in overcoming that hump is, when you're open and transparent about what it is that you're actually doing with it. I think sometimes we hope like if we just don't say anything, people won't figure it out or they won't ask the questions. And that usually only goes very south once it comes out or once something else happens versus if we're open and transparent about here's, here's how it's working. Here's what, you know, you're going to be able to do. Well, and that's the thing about our application. It's not browser based and people are like, Oh, I just open up the browser and da, 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 da. so the guy that designed it, 12 years ago said, this is not going to be in a browser because browsers are a huge security risk. And that was 12 years ago. I mean, I mean, it's exponentially grown since then. Yeah. But people freak out like, what do you mean I can't open this in a browser? I said, well, it's just an ex executable file. You open executable files all the time. You don't realize it. You're downloading something. You click on install. That's an executable file and you do right. it all the time. So I'm removing the risk of it not being in a browser uh, and people just kind of scratch their heads like, well, why isn't this in a browser? I said, well, we're concerned about your security. Okay. Got it. Got it. Well, and I think that's something, you know, and, and that space is going to continue to evolve and and I think get more complicated with things like GDPR, um, you know, CCPA. I think there's a lot of these regulations that are starting to come up that we do have to be careful about how we tread into these things and think thoughtfully about it before we just pull the trigger and say, hey, we're going to, we're going to implement a new voice analysis application because you do have to answer. I mean, I have to answer the questions on a regular basis of what are you doing with this data? Where are you keeping this data? How long will you be keeping this data? What do people do if they don't want you to have their data anymore? How are you ensuring that that's being managed? Yeah, we're not even, ours is not even going over the internet or the cloud. It's we're using the local speech rec engine that's built into every Windows PC. So we're number one, we're not paying a transaction cost. Okay. It's not going up to the cloud, doing something with it, coming back. Every Windows operating system has text-to-speech and has um, speech recognition in it. So you could actually dictate all your Word documents if you wanted to. And it's all staying in your local computer. It's not going out to Cortana or whatever. There's a built-in sp speech engine into every PC. Okay. Well, there's a tip for everybody watching. If you want yeah. to start, maybe your typing skills, maybe you're one of those hunt and peck typers. Yeah. There yeah. you go. I, I did a lot of Mavis Beacon. I did a lot of Mavis Beacon. So my my uh, tippy typing skills are pretty up to speed. But if you're not, there you go. You can start using that and not have to worry about speech recognition on your uh, on Windows. Not necessarily. I'm sure Siri is something on your your Mac or something similar. But um, on Windows, it's all built in. It's been there for years. Interesting. Interesting. Well, this has been this has been honestly a fantastic discussion. I've really enjoyed uh, taking the time to dig into it. Hopefully for people who've been watching, really the goal with this was just to be thinking differently about what you can do with this. It's it's not necessarily saying, oh, everybody jump on the voice bandwagon and everything right. we need to do needs to now be in voice, but say, how are we augmenting our solutions, the way we're improving performance, the way we're measuring our people actually improving skills, right. Right. the technology's there. That's the thing. I think sometimes people think, oh, this is this is far out. This is something that five, 10 years from now we'll be able to do. And, and the reality is you've been doing it for a while now, right? Long time. Yeah. Right. 10 years now. Yeah. So it's, okay. and it's gotten better and better, but I, I will say just go out and play with it. You know, go out to the Alexa skills and play with it. They have templates out there you can play with. Use Audacity to you know create your own audio content and plug it in there. Use Google uh, dialogue scripts that they've got templates out there. So I mean, there's a lot of free tools that you can play with just to get you know familiar with how do you start building voice dialogue you know for training. 
Okay. That's another, that's a great, I guess, another great add to the end of that is that sometimes people feel that this stuff is cost prohibitive or we can't even experiment with it. And the reality is you can, you don't need to have yeah. seven figure budgets to be able to start toying around with voice. Yeah. You can, you can do your own skills where you could say, Alexa, play Nancy's uh, skills today. And it's out there, yeah. <laughs> you know, so yeah. have fun with it. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time, Nancy. Thanks for being here. Thanks everybody for all the comments um, and, and tuning in. Hopefully we got all your questions answered and have a great weekend. Thanks for joining me, Nancy. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.